everybody we're back with another sleeper episode of course week two just came by and uh, fortunately you know you might have got railed by the almighty garthy derrick henry you might have gotten blown out by the aaron jones or you know you might have gotten cooper cupped i mean unfortunately uh i got hit by all three of them in uh one league and uh it, it wasn't very fun but of course i am natter alongside the number one australian analyst she and how you doing over there I'm good, man. We're just rolling up to two o'clock in the morning here, and I'm ready to talk about some fantasy football. It makes sense. I've had a good week. I lost one matchup this week, and I was so, so close to that perfect week. The pursuit continues. And You know, it's always good to hear somebody have like a almost perfect week because then you have like a feeling of like, oh, man, I could do better. Oh, I could do this. Oh, I could have done this. Oh, I could have done that. That's, that's always good. People are striving for greatness. I mean, they say Alexander... The great cried tears, for there were no more worlds to conquer. And perhaps that'll be me when I finally uh, reach that perfect week. That'll yeah. just I'll hang it up and leave. It gets no better than that. You know, I really like that phrase and that saying. That was actually pretty good. I might have to write down down. Yeah, there's some wise words for wisdom for you off the top. You know what? I am thoroughly impressed. But of course, joining us again from 4 for 4 Football Guys, the NBC Sports Edge, Chris Allen. Huh? How you doing over there quietly? I'm doing quite well. I mean, it's been a, I don't know, whirlwind of the last couple of weeks. I mean, week one was nothing but, I mean, excitement, good games and all that. And then week two, start of week two was nothing but injury, injury, injury. All these quarterbacks going down, skill position players going down, defensive players going down. So I was just hoping that we could get through the rest of the week without losing another potential starter like on our fantasy rosters. But either way, I'm happy to see actual live football like, you know, on the screen, like, you know, three days out of the week. So I'm just glad we're back to that. Having real takes on real players with real data. So it's all good for me as of right now. Happy to get into like to talk with y'all again. And let's talk about week three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, right before we talk about that, I do have to thank you for coming on because uh, a little birdie told me that it is your son's birthday today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh -huh. yeah. so congratulations. Yeah. How old is he turning? Or she? Eight. Yeah, eight. Yeah, he's turning eight. Oh, so how do you feel about eight, that? Rather. Yeah, so, no, it's great. Yeah, man. I mean, to be able to see, I mean, I've, I've got three kids now um, and being a dad and uh, like having a like well quote unquote real job or you know I work two jobs and being able to fantasy community and all that uh, but seeing him grow up and just you know parts of me parts of my wife and just the rest of my family like just seeing him grow up has just been a blast so and he's a fun kid very smart I mean like too smart for his own good to be quite honest uh, <laughs> but either way I mean I'm just very proud to see him growing up and doing his own thing so yeah it's been a good day uh -huh. so I'm sure we yeah go ahead Shein. I was gonna go say ahead. I'm sure we have a few parents. Uh, who listen to the show at what age do you think you introduce your kids to fantasy football um honestly like whenever you feel comfortable with it i don't think that like the fantasy can like it's not like they're going to be on like social media or anything it's not like uh it's not like gaming right because with gaming that like, comes like they can actually like chat with people like during like while they're playing and that can get them introduced with like the toxicity that might come with like any communities like any gaming community and all that so honestly like I would say that if they're interested in football, if like, cause my, my sons, like they sometimes come and sit down with me, like on Sundays, like watch and watch games with me and whatnot. So if they're interested in it, you know, maybe have them, you know, co-manage a team with you, or if they want to do their own team or whatever, but I would say maybe eight, nine, 10, like somewhere in there, that might be the first time that you kind of show them like, Hey, this is my roster. These are my players. 
and to, to try and foster that, I guess, uh, that interest in watching teams or watching other players and you know, kind of get that, like kind of, you know, spawn that, you know, I guess, keep that excitement going until the point where they might want to run their, like, or at least be in the league on their own, not necessarily run one. That'd be kind of odd to see a commissioner at like 10 years old or something like that, but still. <laughs> we never know. You never yeah, know. Uh, if you yeah, think back be. to the early seasons of the league, there was the uh, the football the football genius kid who had nothing else in no, his life right. apart from fantasy yeah. football. And yeah. I'm sure that um, I'm sure that all of us have days where, well, maybe not you, Chris, with three kids and a couple of jobs, where we very much feel like that's all we have in our life is uh, mm-hmm. this this fake football that we all love so much. Right. <laughs> God. So, of course, I do want to thank you for hopping on. But at the same time, I should thank myself for being so phenomenal that you'd want to ditch them in order to come onto this podcast. So, of course, <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the bag, give myself a little there. Shandy, Shout out to you. Feel free to, yeah, Shandy, you feel free to do the same thing. All well, right. He's not coming back to uh, – to, I met Chris earlier this evening. He's a, a inside baseball for you all. We recorded the great debate just before doing this. Uh, yeah, I had not yeah. met Chris prior, so he's definitely back to see you again. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. So, so how was the great debate, Mr. Chris Allen? I thought it was great. I mean, she had like a lot of wonderful points about like, it, honestly, if you were to hear like just the two names, it's not like we're talking about like Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert or like, uh, you know, you know Devonte Adams versus Tyreek Hill. Like, no, we were, we were talking like debating Cordero Patterson and JD McKissick. And I thought that she had like brought up a number of good points that like, to be quite honest, after we got done with the show, I was thinking like, yeah, I might need to, you know, adjust my priors like regarding JD McKissick and what we can think about him from a fantasy, like objectively from a fantasy perspective. So no, I thought it was a good, it's a good format to really put your thoughts out there and kind of get that instant feedback or analysis back that honestly, we need that. We should be doing more of that. I mean, fantasy analysis is not just, hey, I researched or like I looked this stuff up on PFF for like, you know, 25, 30 minutes. And then, you know, I'm just going to vomit this stuff out and take it for what it's worth. Like, no, you need folks to kind of come back at you and say like, well, I found this or what about this point? Or did you think about this? And that, I mean, that's what that's what really drives that continuing like, a curiosity about players, about different perspectives and all that. That kind of helps you like grow as an analyst. I mean, iron sharpens iron. Right. And just trying to have that like trying to have that little you know conversation back and forth about a different player, even if they are like two. Again, like I said, quote, quote unquote, boring players in McKissick and, and CPAT. I mean, that's that's really how we kind of like build ourselves up as analysts. So I think it's a it's a good debate, even if they aren't like just the you know two greatest players that like currently in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to agree. I think I think being able to debate and bounce ideas off each other is probably one of the most important things you could do in the fantasy yeah. football community. And it's it, it, it's a skill to be able to debate, right. and especially take criticism, because, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people where they say something and then I'll kind of like rebuttal it. And then they kind of look at me like, wow, did you really just disagree with my opinion? How dare you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so so it, it, it is a skill and something I can't do because I can't go on the great data debate anymore because apparently I like arguing too much and, and I don't know what, what like a specific time frame is. And, and and apparently like I break the rules a lot and I, I don't like that. I like debating and arguing and, you know, I could be with my back against the wall and I'm going full throttle on that argument. You know, you're, Nata, you're when you're the host. Personal. When you host, you can be a rogue. You can go off script like you can on this show, and we can get tangential. But I, I run a tight ship on the Great Debate, and I have no room for your tomfoolery. Is it J- Jack Nicholson and to Jim Carrey? I will not sanction your buffoonery. There's yeah. no place in the yeah. debater dome. I like going on tangents. I like going off script. I like going on rants. It's fun. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when there's a microphone microphone in front of you, I'm allowed to do that. It's kind of like the job of a person holding a microphone just to go on a rant. It's fun. 
Oh, oh yeah, you're real Howard Stern. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> That's a good solid compliment, to be quite honest. I, I don't. Is it? I don't know. It's, it feels like a backhanded compliment. Maybe very much I mean, so. Yeah, I, mean, I know that the was. guy. I mean, he is pretty popular. Like in Stern, he has done quite a bit, like from a radio and entertainment perspective. So I'd say that is, you know, that's a good compliment. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. All righty. So of course, on this episode, we're going to be talking about some justifiable, just ju- ju- justifiable overreactions headed on by Sheen. We're going to talk about some hills that die on. I mean, of course, you know, we we've been bouncing this idea back and forth with each other for a little bit and we're like okay let's bring this on to a live show and then of course we're going to talk about the real shady i mean because he needs to stand up like who are the guys that we should be keeping forward putting in their starting lineups and who should we kind of be taking a back seat on and then of course the two minute drill talking about week three so shan i'm gonna hand the floor to you so justifiable overreactions i think this went so well last week we are doing it again this week for those of you who missed it i will read out a statement and these two fine gentlemen will tell me whether that is accurate or whether it's an overreaction or whether it's a justifiable overreaction. So we'll start here and say Big Ben is washed. Justifiable overreaction. 100% justifiable reaction. Uh-huh. I and agree he- with both of you. And I'll tell you why. Because he came out today and said, ooh, I've got a peck injury. He reminds me of a guy I used to play cricket with called Krishna. Who, as soon as he got hit for four, that's like being hit for a ground rule double baseball fans started limping. Yikes. Well- well, I mean, Big Ben's signature is the walking boot. You know, he could say he has like a torn pack, hurt pack, and then all of a sudden he's in a walking boot. Yeah. And I mean, and looking at his statistics from last season, thinking, oh, yeah, he's just, he's just getting over the elbow surgery. Yeah. The lower passing A dot, like all that stuff's going to change now, like a year removed from the surgery. No, ain't, ain't none of that stuff happened. I mean, he's still like 20th, 21st in deep ball rate. I mean, we haven't really seen like any like any velocity on any of his passes, despite a number of beat reporters insisting that he still had it in it like during the offseason. I mean, none of that is there. I mean, all of the stuff that we heard, like concerns we had about the offensive line, they're 100 percent still there. I mean, their pass block win rate is like 26th or 27th in the lead, according to ESPN. Najee Harris, like for all the draft capital they spent on Najee Harris, I think he's like 26th in the league in terms of like rushing efic- efficiency. So it's just like. Every all the concerns that we had for the Steelers offense, they're they're 100 still there. Nothing's changed, and now on top of that, he's saying that his chest hurts. So it's mm-hmm. and also Deontay Johnson's hurt. Oh, by yeah. the way, T.J. Watt is hurt. So it's yeah. just like that entire team is like imploding as we're watching it. So it's just I'm I'm completely out on the Steelers, and that's and that's me trying to be as objective as possible as a Bengals fan. Mm-hmm. Now, now I do want to say I think the only thing worse than beat writers are people that listen to beat writers. yeah they do that some have some good nuggets of truth some do keep the fantasy community like in like on their minds like when they put out their tweets and all that it's just been some like they are essentially the additional pr arm of the team and they will only tweet out or they will only provide uh i guess news or like interest items like from there that helps like put the team in the correct light Others, they are objective about the, like what they're writing about the team and so on and so forth, and they do a good job at it. So I could I completely understand like your your, your point on that. Mm-hmm. Let me paint a uh, a picture for you here. Big Ben injures his pec. It's genuinely injured. We believe him. He hurts mm-hmm. it halfway during this uh, during this game, and in their their week three matchup. Let me uh, see who are they playing this week. The Bengals. Ooh, you yep. won't like this one, Chris. The Bengals up by three touchdowns at halftime. In comes Dwayne Haskins and leads Pittsburgh to a win from behind. 
Big Ben can't play for a couple of weeks, and Haskins lights it up. He's got Chase Claypool uh, going downfield. He has Juju underneath. He's got Eric Ebron and Pat Fryermuth, just the the twin tight ends blowing it up like Gronk and Hernandez in prime. And Najee Harris has never looked better. What do the Steelers do with Big Ben? They bring him back and they start him again. That that's a team that's still predicated on loyalty. I mean, all of those. I mean, all of like the. I don't know, football guy like type stuff that you would attribute to just like, you know, sports with like a bunch of dudes involved. So there's no way they're just going to let him just like walk or like they're not going to, if he's healthy. I mean, Mike Tomlin, like Mike Tomlin is not necessarily like a, he's a coach, but like, you know, like that whole football guy thing again, he's a leader of men. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like when it comes to like, that's the yep. type of narratives that you can put around the Pittsburgh Steelers. So ain't no, I don't care. If Dwayne Haskins goes out and throws for 10 touchdowns, looks like the second coming of Peyton Manning. There's no way that they were just going to like just turn from Ben Roethlisberger after what, 16, 16 years. How, how long has he has been with the Steelers since like Oh three or something like that? Pretty much. Yeah. So there's no way that after like 16 years of Ben Roethlisberger being a part of that franchise after one game, they're going to turn to Dwayne Haskins, a guy that could barely like beat out, actually couldn't even beat out Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, and uh, what's the uh, Heineke. So no, that, that ain't happening. I suppose we can only dream, or I suppose you in the uh, the AFC North can only dream that Haskins comes in for uh, Oh yeah. For I, big... I, that'd be great. I'll take that. <laughs> So second justifiable overreaction, the Texans, Jaguars, Falcons, and Lions won't get to a combined 10 wins this season. 100% justifiable. Oof, okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's justifiable. I can get with that. I think the Texans do a little bit better than everybody anticipates. Depends how much time Tyrod's missing. Or yeah. Tyrod. Yeah, I'm with Sheehan right there. That really sucks. I, I'm, I, I feel so bad for Tehran. I mean, just think about, because we were talking about, or did, did I talk to you all about? I forget. I've been doing like so much stuff lately. Uh, but um, like, if we think about like Teddy, yeah, because we were talking about Teddy Bridgewater, I thought earlier. Um, but how like Teddy Bridgewater has gone from, like he got hurt with the Vikings, right? But then he goes to New Orleans with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Then he goes to Carolina with Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson. And then now he's in Denver with, I mean, pretty much like Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, who's out. Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, Noah Fant, like so on, Alberto and all that. But then look at like Turrod Taylor's, like, you know, like how many like bad teams he's bounced around, like from the Bills to Cleveland when they were shitty, like before Freddie, like with Freddie Kitchens or before, even before Freddie Kitchens, but before they got Kevin Stefanski, he goes out to the Chargers and then gets Wally pipped, like well, essentially because of the punctured lung thing and the, because of the Justin Herbert thing. And now he gets shipped off to the worst team in the league in the Texans. And he can't even make it through a full season with the Texans, who you thought were going to suck before the season even started because he hurts his hamstring. It's just like, I I just like, he is like the anti Teddy Bridgewater because like he just winds (laughs) up in like just worse situation after worse situation. And he's just one of those guys that you want to root for. And like, I was so happy to actually see them stun the Jaguars in week one and play well. And then now, like, and they honestly looked like they were going to make a competitive game against the Browns in week two. And then he rips up his hamstring, and then now he's out again. It's just like, I really feel for the dude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. But what's surprising to me, out of all the the teams you listed, the Falcons won't combine 10 wins this season. Because, I mean, Matt Ryan is a really good quarterback. I'd say he still is an above-average quarterback. And he has all the weapons he needs on offense. And I I don't know, the offense just looks like it's missing. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, an element of that to me might be a first year with um, Arthur Smith, but also like they just don't look good. I don't know why. You like, have the piece you, around him, but it just aren't clicking. I'm sure as the season progresses, they will start to click. All of these teams will pinch wins where they maybe shouldn't, but it'll be... I left the Jets out of this because I think they're maybe a slight rung above the, the real chaff of the league here, but I think between them, they need nine wins between four of them. I don't think it's going to happen. No, um, right. Justifiable overreaction number three, and this one might need a little bit of context, but... DJ Chark is the best buy low candidate in fantasy football right now. Mm, the best? Mm. And while, while you're chewing that over, let me tell you, he's had 16 targets in two weeks. Laviscus Chenault has just gone out, and they don't really have anyone else other than Marvin Jones to catch passes there. Mm-hmm. And he's turned mm-hmm. those 16 targets into two catches. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the problem is if you have 16 targets and you have two catches, that means the quality of targets are just not good. Therefore, I, I think, you know, while that looks phenomenal, I feel like there's an issue with that. Now, I would talk about Corey Davis probably being, probably being a better buy-low candidate after the horrendous showing last <laughs> you know, just this last Sunday against the, the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, Bell Belichick, he, he devours rookie quarterbacks. For breakfast, that's that's his forte. It's his specialty. He's done this his whole career. You get a you get a promising young quarterback, he will go and absolutely push the shit in. That's what he does. He did that last year with Kyler Murray, with Justin Herbert, with everybody. I don't have to. I don't even have to continually mention the list. He just does phenomenal against rookie quarterbacks. Um, I would look to more buying Corey Davis than I would DJ Chark. I would say I don't know if he's the best by low candidate because I'm thinking of like similar archetype of receiver that's also been like uh, who's also been underproducing the past couple of weeks. Robbie Anderson. I mean, Robbie Anderson also runs like some of those deeper routes. Like now, like his a dot has now oscillated back from 2020 to a, a much higher a dot. DJ Moore's taking the underneath stuff. His target share. I mean, he's running. He's ran like six less routes if I'm remembering uh, correctly between him and DJ Moore. So it's just he's also out there on the field. I mean, that whole Sam Donald to Robbie Anderson connection might not be there, but it's just Robbie Anderson, I think, has at least at the very least a higher productive offense surrounded him that I would at least be a little bit more comfortable. Like if I wanted to buy low on either of those guys, at least I might want to at least buy low on Robbie Anderson because between the two of them, mm-hmm. I think we can all agree that Robbie Anderson is the better wide receiver. We just got to wait for those targets to come back his way. Now, can you real fast explain a dot to everybody for who doesn't know? Yeah. Average depth of target. So it's how far, like most of like how far you're running when you get like most, or when you get, your, when you get targeted. So basically like, oh, you're at the first down line, 10 yards down the field, and then the pass comes to you. Not necessarily yep. you catch the ball for maybe one yard and then run it 10 yards. Right. That would be but, yards after the catch. Yes. I just want to make sure everybody that listening that doesn't happen to catch on on the lingo My is bad. Uh, able to follow on. Yeah, it's all good. All good. All good. All right. Go ahead. Yes. Nada definitely asking questions for the listeners out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've just talked about a buy, so let's talk about a sell. After his breakout performance, it's time to sell Michael Pittman if you can. It's it's hard. It's hard. That's hard. I don't want to call that an overreaction. I don't want to call that like justifiable. It's like in between overreaction and justifiable overreaction because when you have a product a productive wide receiver, and it looks like they're not, and in my opinion, they don't look fluky. Mm-hmm. I would want to hold on to that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with Nader on that one because it's just like. Well, I guess my my question back to the folks that are saying to sell high on Michael on Michael Pittman, who are you selling him for? 
I mean, what are you ex what are you reliably expecting to get back for a player attached to Carson Wentz? Like what what like what what are you projecting for him moving forward that's going to make people so excited to get Michael Pittman that they're just going to like give you like who, who are you going to get him for? You're not going to get like DK Metcalf who's in a who's in a slump right now. You're you're not going to get Chase Claypool who's now essentially the wide receiver one for Pittsburgh. So it's like you're not going to really be able to sell him for wide receivers that were drafted ahead of him. So I'm not sure what you're going to reliably get in a in a trade if you were to sell Michael Pittman, especially after one game that he winds up essentially being the guy that we expect him to be like, you know, highest target share amongst all Colts receivers. I think he crossed the century mark, like what, 123 or something like that uh, in terms of receiving yards as well. So it's just like, I, I don't know, even if you do sell him, it's just like, what are you expecting to get in return? I, and I just don't see it. Do you think you could sell Pittman for DJ Chuck? Probably not, especially with the Visca news, because again, if you're most folks will just look at the teams that both of those guys play for and they're going to be like, OK, so I'm going from Carson Wentz to Trevor Lawrence. And most people, despite how many interceptions that Trevor Lawrence has thrown already, like in his rookie season, they'll give Lawrence the pass because he is a rookie. And it's like, oh, it's only been two games. The guy's the one on one. You know, I'll, I'll stick with the Jaguars versus looking at Carson Wentz, who everybody thinks is a train wreck anyway. Well, it could be Jacob Eason. Oh God! Yeah, I forgot about that. Since yeah, Carson, he's, he's got two sprained he, ankles. He, yeah, he sprained both of his ankles. That which is impressive <laughs> by itself. I mean, but yeah, how do you do that? I, he's going to be know. walking like C three PO for like the rest of the week. I, yeah. I I don't know if he's going to play this week. He might play next week. Uh, that's yeah. the reason I think it's it's time to sell Michael Pittman potentially. So, so is real fast, because of Jacob okay. Eason. So real because fast. he looks so bad. Oh, okay. So real fast, I looked at the trade market <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'm looking at the trade market right now for Yahoo and it, it, it'll tell you uh, different transactions that went through a specific player. So right now I'm looking at Michael Pittman Jr. And I'll, I'll ask you right now the trades that have gone through well, and you could tell me yes or no, you would do this trade. Right now I'm looking at it. Michael Pittman was traded for James Conner. No, I'm not doing that. You would rather have Michael Pittman. Yeah, I'd rather have Michael Pittman. One hundred. I'd, I'd rather trade him for someone better than James Conner. So yes, well, yeah, I guess. That's, that, that's the better move. Yeah, I'd just, <laughs> yeah. I'd rather just keep it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another one: Michael Pittman and Logan Thomas was traded for George Kittle and Chase Claypool. Oh, give wow. me Kittle and Claypool. Yeah, I do not care one iota about like Kittle's target share of the past couple of weeks. Like, no, like that. Yeah, his time's coming. So, so in that scenario, yes, trading Michael Pittman was the good, the good. Yeah, option. if you can, if you yeah. can finagle that deal, then hats off to that person that was able to capitalize on a yeah scared Kittle owner. Uh huh. Okay, and uh, this one I'm gonna assume is obvious. Don't do it, Michael Pittman for AJ Dillon. Good lord, yeah, no, okay. And this this one might be a dynasty one the way I'm looking at this right now. It was Michael Pittman, George Kittle, and Jalen Waddle for TJ Hawkinson and Antonio Gibson. That, um, that, that definitely has the feel of a dynasty trade. Yeah, what were the three? What were the names again? Michael Pittman, George Kittle, and Jalen Waddle for TJ Hawkinson and Antonio Gibson. That to me is essentially Kittle and two minor pieces for. Gibson and Hawkinson. I, I want the Gibson Hawkinson side of that. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, I'm going to agree. I'd rather have Hawkinson and Gibson, but I just want to put it on the record. I'd rather not have Gibson. Yeah. I mean, you've said multiple times you would rather yes, stand yes. up and yeah. slam your dick in a car door than have Antonio Gibson. Yes. Yes. And I'm still <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So 
I, I guess the the message we can take away here is if you can sell Michael, but it's a bit like um, I saw someone tweet out all these people who thought they were going to sell Davis Mills high. Show me that he's gone for a second round. I've seen him traded for second rounders in dynasty leagues today. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I saw the same tweet. Yeah, that was from uh, Charles or uh, uh, Scott Connor. Take that back, Scott yep. Connor. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the same with Michael Pittman. It's okay. So if if the deal's right and you're getting a good offer, then mm-hmm. then sell him. Like like if you can parcel him with Logan Thomas for Chase Claypool and George Kittle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last justifiable overreaction is Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton is a wide receiver one for the rest of the season. Ooh, I don't know about the rest of the season because man, that, we've literally got what 15 weeks of action still in front of us. So that that one might be an overreaction. No, we I'm, going, I'm, I'm going now. I'm going like that's justifiable. I, I think uh, I don't think it's too far of a reach. Man, because we haven't even seen like the blow up game like from Devonte Adams that we at least at all hope is coming. Tyreek Hill had a down week. I mean, Keenan yeah, Allen. Shut yeah, he well, I don't know if he got shot down. I yeah, mean, shot he, down. I don't know about all that, but I mean, yeah, he I'll just say he had a down week. Amari Cooper's banged up. DK Metcalf hasn't blown up yet. I mean, there are a number of like first and second round wide receivers well ahead of Cortland Sutton that we really haven't seen have like their statement games, and we know they're coming. So it's just like, man, the rest of the season, I don't know, that feels like an overreaction after just two weeks. Now, the first game of the week. He went against the Giants, and I think I think uh, Brad Bear, I think his name, the the, the shutdown corner for the Giants. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he, he had him shut down for one reception, fourteen yards. After that, of course, going against Jacksonville, he puts up one hundred fifty nine receiving yards, no touchdown, by the way, but still. Uh, his next schedule is the Jets, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Raiders, and the Browns. It's a little bit of a tough stretch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I, I I don't want to call him wide receiver one, but right now. What's his name? Quarterback, little two, t- Teddy Two Gloves. He's playing pretty good football, and he has, I think, the highest completion percentage of passes thrown past twenty yards. So, wh- wh- while that's un- completely uncharacteristic of him, considering we know him as like a checkdown Charlie, so I think I think that might calm down a little bit. I think maybe you know he he just kind of gunslinging it right now. He did that with the Panthers yeah. last year, where he looked like he was just kind of slinging the ball down the field. That Panthers office looked phenomenal, and then I think he definitely toned down a little bit. So. I would expect the same thing to happen again this year, but uh, right right now, owning Cortland Sutton feels pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't I don't disagree with that, not one bit. Actually, he led all wide receivers in air yards in week two with like he had like what over two hundred air, air yards in uh, on Sunday. So it's just like I get that, but it's just man for the rest of the season. I mean, we're talking four months. I mean, fifteen weeks, almost four months that he's going to maintain this. I don't know, man. I don't know. Oof. All right. What I'm a fan. Person? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to All say right. yes. Well, let's let's talk. The NFL is full of hills. We've got Tyreek Hill. We've had Josh Hill. We've had Justice Hill. But now to tell us what hill you're willing to die on. Right now, I'm looking at Ty Johnson. And I said in the beginning of the year that he would be a startable fantasy running back. You know, maybe not in the beginning of the year, but when the offense develops, he will be a solid piece to a person's redraft lineup i'm still gonna stay on that hill for right now what about you chris 
so as of right now, I'm going to die on the hill that uh, Tom Brady will not finish. He will not finish in like in the top six, like top eight in terms of quarterbacks, like everybody expects him to. I, you, you can just... I'll, I'll say the word regression and I know that everybody's just going to get like pissed off. Like, okay, the stats guy is going to like start saying like regression stuff. I get it, but come on, man. Like he, he's thrown like nine touchdowns in two games. I mean, the, the, the leader in like touchdown rate, what was it like 9.1% like for Aaron Rodgers like last season, we're already expecting him to, uh, to fall back to earth. And he already started off that campaign with a poor outing in week one. He tried to like, he's done at least some work with the three to four that he threw last night, but still like we can't expect him to continue on this war path. And actually, if you think about it from a complete, uh, from a full on like fantasy points projection, uh, like standpoint, like Tom Brady is now sitting right next to Daniel Jones in terms of total fantasy points accrued, like by a quarterback. And that's just part of the reason why like quarterback scoring is so broken in fantasy football, because uh, despite how bad you can be at being a quarterback, because there's no way that we would actually, you know, equate Daniel Jones with, uh, with Tom Brady from a like real football perspective, but because quarterbacks can score with their legs we have to account for that so that unless tom brady is going to continue to do like what he did on sunday and I, honestly the thursday before that as well for the rest of the season again for 15 more weeks it's just hard for me to see him in the like upper echelon of quarterbacks to end the 2021 season so it's just that's that's the hill i'm, re I'm ready to die on i know all of the you know all the boomers that are a part of fantasy football are just like, oh, look at Tom Brady and like, you know, Rob Gronkowski out there proving these youngins with their spreadsheets wrong and all this other stuff. It's just like, okay, it's been two weeks. I get it. All right, fine. But I mean, they played against, I mean, two relatively bad defenses to start off the season. It's not going to be this easy for a moving forward. So it's just, I, I, I'm good. I'll, I will happily die on this hill. But if Tom Brady, breaks breaks history again I'll, I'll go ahead and take it but that's the hill i'm willing to die on so so i would do what okay, sorry shane right before you go on yours i'd like to ask oh, mr chris allen a question well i was gonna say okay. regression is not a dirty word people treat it as a dirty word but all of me is just an averaging out of stats mm -hmm. but he's on was he throwing nine touchdowns in two weeks you can't tell me i'm a i'm a pats fan i've brady jerseys like I might call a kid Thomas Brady on it one day. Who's to say? <laughs> but there is no way he throws 70 touchdowns this year, and that is the pace he's on. And I don't right. care whether you're a boom. I don't care whether you don't believe in regression and all of that jazz. There is no way he, break, he breaks the touchdown record by 20 touchdowns and one extra game. Like, you, you can't see that. I can't see that unfolding. Yeah, he might have the statistically best year of his career. Mm -hmm. But he's not going to keep up this pace. And without that rushing floor, and we, as you say, we've seen what guys who can rush the mediocre, mediocre quarterbacks who can rush the ball, not necessarily turn it over, are more valuable than the greatest player ever to, to strap on boots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I would like to pose a question. Do you, Mr. Chris Allen, expect Daniel Jones to keep playing to Tom Brady's pace, or do you expect Tom Brady to keep playing to Daniel Jones' pace? No, Ooh, it's something's it's, got to give. Not no, neither of those things actually have to ha like actually have to happen. Tom Brady can just continue to play at Tom Brady's historical pace, which has been at about a five point five to six percent touchdown rate. I mean, that's what Tom Brady can. Tom Brady can just be Tom Brady, and just because the nature of quarterback scoring, Daniel Jones can continue to be Daniel Jones, and he can still wind up at least as long as he doesn't completely implode. 
because Daniel Jones last season imploded. His touchdown rate actually fell to about three and a half percent, which is well below the league average. So even if Daniel Jones comes back to his own touchdown rate, like a historical mean, which is like just below like the league average, so four and a half to five percent. If Daniel Jones even gets back to that, then he could at the very least like match Tom Brady from a statistical standpoint. And like I said beforehand, in two weeks, Daniel Jones is just eight points behind Tom Brady in total fantasy points. And Daniel Jones, like he hasn't even thrown it. Like, has he thrown what? Thrown two touchdowns? What? One to Darius Slayton and uh, what? One to Sterling Shepard. And I think he had like one to Sterling Shepard like the week beforehand, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So like, three touchdowns. So three touchdowns to Tom Brady's nine. And he's only eight points behind him. So it's just like Tom Brady can just be himself, his like his normal, like statistical mean self. And Daniel Jones can just be himself. And they would both be relatively equal. That's just the nature of fantasy scoring. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I am going to say I am a big proponent of making it a six point per passing touchdown to counteract it. I think uh, I don't like the, the fact that running quarterbacks do get a little bit more of a speed bump, not a speed bump, but like a downhill advantage compared to pocket passers actually i kind of like that speed bump because you got to be fast in order to uh, yes. need a bump as yeah. well. I, I like that i actually <laughs> do like see, that yeah, 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 I, 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 I do like that but, but yeah, into it. Yeah. yeah but the problem is, is I, I thought of an actual car speed bump so if like they get a speed bump mm-hmm. that means they kind of get like slowed down uh, yeah. okay. Well, so, yeah, okay you, you went the other yeah, way with yeah, it. yeah i went the other way yeah i went the other way there we go yeah. so i mean for, for reference right now uh josh allen is quarterback 19 that 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 was the regression I think people are talking about that Daniel Jones is going to have or the one that Tom Brady might have. But uh, no, I think right now those quarterbacks are much safer than Josh. And I don't want to say safer than Josh Allen, considering Josh Allen is still really good on a good offense. But man, Josh Allen needs to step up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that might. Well, in his particular situation, you got to think about what happened throughout the offseason. I mean, what Stefan Diggs, uh, he had what the uh, knee tendonitis, if I remember correctly, or something off with his knee throughout like parts of training camp. So they didn't really work out together. Uh, Manny Sanders was signed like throughout like the middle of the offseason. Cole Beasley, uh, you know, was off like yelling with people like on Twitter and like making another mixtape or something like that. So it's just like, you know, so it's like that offense is currently like at the very least out of sync. And also relying on two, if not depending on what your like age cliff like looks like from a statistical standpoint, but they're like he's relying on three like older wide receivers. Stefan Diggs is about like somewhere in his prime. It's like similar to like DeAndre Hopkins, like still a good receiver, but kind of getting towards the end of like where we'd expect him to be like a like no doubt like full on like wide receiver one. But then both like Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders, like well past like what we can cons- uh, consider to be uh, just like typical ancillary receivers. And then there's got a bunch of like bunch of dudes behind him, like Isaiah McKenzie, you know, so on and so forth. So it's like that team is already fairly fragile from a personnel standpoint. And so if you have a quarterback that while he made like significant strides last season, didn't really have a ton of time to work with them during the off season, and now just throw them all back together in week one against. Well, at the very least, against one decent pass coverage defense with Pittsburgh, another one against Miami. That's this stuff is going to happen, man. Like I, I'm actually, like in hindsight, kind of looking back on it, like yeah, we kind of should have expected this. I mean, because they weren't practicing a whole bunch together throughout the off season. One of them was kind of hurt, if I remember correctly, as well. So it's just like I'll just kind of chalk it up. They'll get it back together. We still got like three and a half months to go. I hope I'm sure. I was going to say, I'm sure people who draw a line through this as me being a salty Pats fan, but I've said all offseason to, I think I've said it on the pod, I've said it to people who've asked, the Bills were always going to regress because they had 
everyone on their offense close to or any every meaningful person on their offense had the best year of their career. Mm-hmm. And the only way to go from having the best year of your career for most people is down. Josh mm-hmm. Allen, as you said, Chris, we they've got three people who are at their peak or, or past it. Josh Allen, I think we all hope that he's at the start of his peak and that he is going to, if you like, positive regression to the mean. And we find the Josh Allen that is somewhere between the out-of-this-world player we saw last year and the Josh Allen that we've seen. But I've got to say, I thought the Bills were fairly underwhelming for a team that won 35-0. They didn't look good. I didn't think Josh Allen looked particularly good. My my takeaway was just because you can throw off the back foot, just because you can throw from every angle, doesn't mean you have to throw every pass off the back foot. He, his, his technique looked wrong. He was lazy in his passing, and I think he needs to um, – this is such a, a dumbass hot take uh, talking head style comment. He needs to get his head in the game. And and look at his tech. Look at how he's getting rid of. Look at how he's getting the ball to his receivers. Looking how at how he's leading that offense. If they really are going to do more than take the ACs for granted, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that uh, for Josh Allen, it's passers like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They have uh, I forget what the the what the term is, but I've heard it's similar to the lines of like they have arrogance when it comes to like when they make their throws. It's like they 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 they've seen they've been able to do it in the past like with Josh Allen and some of those tight window throws Patrick Mahomes and some of those downfield throws into double or triple coverage like sometimes like they've seen it happen before so their mind like doesn't really question the fact like hey should I really be making this pass or whatever because they've done it so many times beforehand and where with Josh Allen it's just like with Patrick Mahomes we saw we've seen him do it like for multiple years Josh Allen's only had the one season doing it and so now he's conditioned to make those passes but it's just he doesn't really have that same foundation of good mechanics, good footwork to rely on like his arm talent, just his arm talent, in order to get the ball there. And we've seen him miss on deep shots. What was it, the week one deep shot to Manuel Sanders? Or typically that pass would hit. I mean, Stefan Diggs would be on the end of that rec- uh, end of that similar pass nine times out of ten back in 2020. But if you're just a little bit out of sync, like you haven't really worked on it as much as you're supposed to during the offseason, stuff like that will happen. So I think it's something they can clean up. But again, they've got plenty of weeks ahead of them. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with Sheehan. For a team that blew out another team, I mean, completely shut them down, they weren't as great as the scoreboard would suggest. Josh Allen, I was, Josh Allen suffers from the same problem with Mariah Carey. She has an eight-octave range. She doesn't need to hit every note in that octave every line right. of the song. Yeah, like It's okay to stand in the, po- the pocket and make a, a throw because – uh, the defense has to respect the fact you don't have to play that way. Mm-hmm. But when you are leaning back and your weight is falling backwards and you are making a lazy throw that is over the outstretched arms of an open receiver, then you have no one to blame but yourself. Uh-huh. Now, I will agree he has played a little lazy, but uh, to, to be fair against the Miami game, they did have a run game. For the first time, I don't want to say in about a year, they had some sort of run game. I mean, Singletary had his, well, his 40-yard run. Josh mm-hmm. Allen did have a run with that scored a touchdown, but it was called back. I think he also had a cat or a passing touchdown that was called back. So I, th- I think a couple of serious unfortunate events happened for Josh Allen to cause a little bit of a lower stat line in himself. But, I mean, I am going to agree. When you get blown out 35 nothing, you would anticipate a pretty good stat line for Josh Allen. And in that case, it didn't happen. I think Zach Moss even had a rushing touchdown or yeah, two, two that game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there was three rushing touchdowns that game. Of course, when you put up 21 points and you win, uh, win but by 35, you know, that's only two, two more passing touchdowns to go around for somebody else. So, I mean, 
I'm going to chalk it up as a bad game. And you would think that, okay, it's the Dolphins, it's the Steelers are good defenses, but he's torched those defenses before. So, I mean, mm-hmm. last year, week 17, I mean, then he put up like 48 on the Dolphins defense twice. Yes. I think last year. Yeah, blew yep. out. So, I mean, he, people are saying, yeah, this is a bad matchup, but no, he's destroyed that matchup before. And I mean, he didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. He had John Ross, who was hurt. So, I mean, in my opinion, he has better weapons this year than he did last year. And I, I am going to say, I'm a little surprised by the lack of uh, fantasy points being put up by Josh Allen. Yeah, it is somewhat concerning. If you drafted him in what, like the fourth, fifth, sixth round is your, what he was, I think, per, like uh, typically drafted as what the QB three in most drafts, like thereabouts. Yeah. So it's like, if you draft him right there and folks, and like you passed up on like Kyler Murray, you're probably kicking yourself as of right now. So um, uh, yeah, hopefully better days are coming though. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is, is like you put so much investment into Josh Allen that yeah. you can't really, you can't really bench him. You can't really stream no. it. Because you, nope. you can't, because he might go off. And if he does, you're, you're just going to feel stupid. So he puts you in an awkward situation. It's kind of like drafting CEH right now. We'll probably talk about him a little bit later, where, where you really don't want to start him, but you can't just Kinda not start him. To. Yeah, you have to do it. So, I mean, of course, we'll probably touch on him in a little bit later, but yeah. So, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? And of course, you know, we're going to be talking about some players that had either a phenomenal week one and an incredibly disappointing week two, or vice versa. Disappointing week one, phenomenal week two. And we're going to be talking about whether you should be concerned with their production or they are the real Slim Shady. And of course, you're going to be consistently standing them up in your fantasy lineup. So we're going to start off with uh, a familiar name in Amari Cooper. Of course, week one, 13 catches, 140 yards and two touchdowns. And then in week two, against what we thought would be a pretty promising matchup in the Chargers, he comes up with three catches, 24 yards and a touchdown or sorry zero touchdowns sorry forgive me for that one so we'll start off with chris how do you feel i think in terms of uh like who uh, between week one and week two who's the real amari cooper i think it's somewhere in between i'm not really trying to take too much out now i am concerned about what the rib injury that he currently has like right now that he's currently dealing with after getting crunched i think it was on like an end zone target uh, against the chargers so i think that's my only real concern but Assuming like no health issues moving forward, you're starting Amari Cooper with at least some semblance of confidence because if it was Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup, okay, fine. But even beforehand, after week one, Amari Cooper, what, dominated? Well, not necessarily dominated, but at least he had the most most targets. Routes run like were one of the highest like in the league and especially for, for the for the Cowboys as well. I mean, he still has that title for the most routes run like throughout for all the pass catchers like through through two weeks. So from an opportunity standpoint, I would still continue to think about him as a wide receiver one in that offense. If Dak is going to continue to drop back as many times as he has over the past like couple of weeks, then sure, why not? I mean, I don't see why uh, you know those targets won't continue to kind of oscillate like back and forth between him, uh, between CD, between Cedric Wilson, who's now like taking it, taking the place from Michael Gallup. So no, I, I really don't have much concerns about it. We're going to have those dips in production, just like we had dips in production for Tyreek Hill on the very same day. Uh, yeah, I, I have no problems like starting Amari Cooper moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now I do want to say that. Uh... Actually, quick little mini story. I do have a friend who is a Raiders fan, and he would always tell me that Amari Cooper is like a magician. He's going to do something phenomenal, and he's going to impress everybody, and he's going to have a phenomenal game where he, he he just basically pulls a rabbit out of a hat. And then he's going to become Houdini and just perform the best disappearing act you'll ever see in your life and do absolutely <laughs> nothing. And he did that in the past two weeks. You know, He pulled a rabbit out of his hat, 142 touchdowns. He won you that week. He pulled the Cooper Cup 
for you. And then, of course, pulled the disappearing act, three catches, 24 yards, and he probably lost your week in case of that. I mean, this is, if we're talking about the real Slim Shade, this is the real Amari Cooper. This is the Amari Cooper experience. And I think if you're upset by it, you're almost looking at the the James Franco first time meme where it's looking at you. Have you not, have you not seen this guy? Have you not owned this guy? I love Amari Cooper and he is a, a key element of my league of record uh, receiver quadrant, the four horsemen. And they are all boom bust guys. And I love that about them. But for most people, you need to be able to offset the boom bust with that solid floor. So you know, someone like a Jarvis Landry or a JD McKissick or someone like that, who, you know, they're not going to ruin your week with a zero to offset the, the week that Amari Cooper is going to have a one in three, one in two. So this is who he is. We know who he is. Uh, I think we're going to see more of his week one performances than his week two performances uh, across the season. But by and in large, as uh, as Chris said, it'll be somewhere in, the, in in between, as I'm sure we will say about every single player on this list. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. Maybe. No, I, 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 quick. Hold on. Sorry. I, I lost my train of thought real fast. That's Maybe. a slow train. I know, I know. It is a slow train. That's why. Lost your bart of thought. God. All right. So, okay. We're just going to move on. So another person I kind of want to talk about in the tight end position would be Tyler Higby. And I know it's easy to just say, oh, it's a tight end. You know, they're they're just going to do that. But I mean, when one of them puts up five catches for 68 yards, and of course you're paying like a half point PPR league, that's almost 10 fantasy points. And then in week two, he gets one catch, eight yards and a touchdown. Now in week one, he ran the most routes. Out of all tight ends, he had one, he, he ran the most passing routes out of all tight ends, I believe. You know that might be fact checkable, uh, but that was a scary regression from week one to week two. Yeah, fairly. Uh, oh, go ahead, Shion. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no! Please, uh, after you. I was gonna say, yeah, I, like Nader, you do bring up a good point about the drop in terms of route routes run. Uh, my, I guess the only, mm, I don't want to say like pushback i would just say context to apply to the situation if you look at the way that they were able to produce i know like cooper cup essentially in dfs if you didn't have cooper cup like you were just walking away with no money but like on his uh if it wasn't his first touchdown as his second touchdown and he was completely wide open i mean what is what is matt stafford supposed to do if you see a receiver essentially like running by himself uh down the field i mean you're gonna hit him for look for a long touchdown so for in cases like that I'm trying not to like take like too much away from it. Like if a team can essentially run away with the game, now they did have to like play catch up or at least like try and like, you know, fend off the Colts like towards the back end of that game. But I, I do think that it's it, again, like from a tight end perspective, we already kind of understood that Tyler Higby was well outside or at least like fairly close, uh, like not well outside, but just outside of that top six of like tight ends that most folks were drafting from, uh, from Travis Kelsey, basically down to TJ Hawkinson, like those six tight ends. Those are the guys that we knew we can start like week in and week out. And Tyler Higby is still a part of that group, like maybe right outside of that. But we knew that each week we would have to like basically say like, is it going to be their week to score a touchdown or get more targets or not? Like the same way that we looked at, let's say like Logan Thomas or Robert Tunyon. I mean, all of those guys essentially fell into the same ta- same category. Good offenses might be involved in the passing game here or there, but we just don't know like when those targets are going to come. Last week it was Tyler Higby's week. This week it's not. Last mm-hmm. week was last week wasn't Robert Tunyon's week. Last night it was. So it's just like for that for that archetype of player who we know is going to be a part of those good offenses. You just have to make that sacrifice, knowing that you're really not going to find a ton else on the waiver wire as of right now. 
I mean, who are you really going to pick up at this point in order to start over a guy like him? You're going to like, what are you going to go out and like try and get like Hayden Hurst? You, you, you still pining for Tyler Croft, Chris Herndon. I mean, I'm not really finding other guys that are going to be out there. Albert O, you want to start him too? So it's just like without too many op- other options out there on the waiver wire, like you're just going to have to like live with those like ups and downs because that's the, I guess, the like uh, the type of player that you end up drafting like when you when you went for a guy like him. Mm-hmm. Now, I do would say, uh, I do want to say, I would much rather have Jared Cook than Tyler Higby right now as I'm looking on Yahoo. He is rostered at 43% of leagues. He would be the tight end I would pick up as probably the most consistent tight end. That's fair. Yeah. That you can just set and know he's at least going to get like three, four targets, five targets. And then, you know, he's, he's probably not going to put up like 20 fantasy points for you, but he'll put up like seven or eight, maybe even a touchdown. And I know against the uh, Dallas Cowboys, as we just finished talking about Amari Cooper, he had a touchdown that got called back Go by back. a penalty. Sure so he, he, he should have had a much better stat line. And of course, his stat line was about five fantasy points and half point PPR. That could have easily been 11 to 12, depending on, of course, if that touchdown counted or should have counted, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. He would be the tight end I would be going after. I would be spending some fab and a waiver claim for Jared Cook. Sure. Yeah. I think he is the one. I think he's the one exception. I can't think of anybody else, any other tight end that might be on the waiver wire that could possibly give you at least a decent floor other than the option of like just kind of riding with Higby at this point. Mm hmm. Dan Arnold was the only name that I had just because they're playing the Texans Thursday night. But even then, I'd probably rather Higby. Um, the strength uh, defense versus position here so it has the Bucks, who the Rams playing this week, as the third worst in the league uh, in terms of conceding receptions to the tight end this year. So I'm not concerned about Tyler Higby this week, but I think, well, I would hope that you didn't spend draft capital on him to have him on your roster. He feels like a, a streaming matchup guy if mm-hmm. – maybe slightly ahead of some of those um, pure streaming guys to me. Uh, but I, if we, we're talking which one's the real one, again, the truth is something – the truth is somewhere in the middle. We know the Rams are going to air it out. And if Henderson misses significant time, they're probably going to have to air it, air it out even more. Yep. Well, the, the, how many – in a – Sean McVay offense, they never really gotten a tight end involved. He'll get a catch here and there. He might get a touchdown here and there. But that's always, you know, the running back show. That's always the cup and Robert Woods show. I feel like I feel like it's kind of like starting Anthony Fershker. Like he runs routes, but plays aren't necessarily designed for him. Uh yeah, to some degree. I mean, with Ferkser specifically, like, I think during the offseason, I think it came to light that he was pretty much only going to be out there for specific packages. So like that they were going to run uh like eleven personnel, like three wide receiver sets, like Higby's not going to be on the field. Like it's more of uh like any of the blocking tight ends, those are the guys that are gonna be on there. Now, if they're running like more hurry up or something like that, then yeah, then they might convert back to like uh, and Ferkser might be on the field. So he's even more like game script dependent than Tyler Higby. At least Higby is seeing like the re- like the requisite snaps to at least be out on the field like most of the time. He's out there running more routes than a guy like Ferkser would be. But it's just if you've got guys in front of you like Cooper Cup, that's like essentially like lighting it, like who is like what isn't he the wide receiver one at this point? Or pretty daggone close to it. Basically, probably. Have to be the- I mean, so yeah, if you've got like the wide receiver one on your team and we're waiting for some of those targets to go back to Robert Woods as well, it's just, and also Van Jefferson now, if you also now have a viable third wide receiver in that offense, of course, yeah, those targets are going to shake up and Higsby's kind of like the odd man out. That is unfortunate. Now let's talk about 
Jonathan Taylor, everybody's favorite first round running back. I mean, week one, 17 rushes, 56 yards. That's not that good. That's almost what? 2.9 yards per carry. If my quick maths is correct, right? No. Ish. Yeah. Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. And then receiving six catches for 60 yards. I don't think he does that again. Okay. I think six catches for 60 yards. I think that's a Heinz stat line. I don't think that's a Jonathan Taylor stat line. And then week two, 15 carries for 51 yards. So we're seeing a below average rusher right now. And then one catch for two yards. And right right now, I think one and two weeks, one and two, we're seeing about a like 2.9 yard average per carry out of Jonathan Taylor. If we see that for two weeks in a row against one difficult matchup against the Rams, but then a favorable matchup against the Jaguars. Are you ready to say, Hey, this is what she should expect from now on. I would be trying to buy Jonathan Taylor. Of those, the, the Colts look so bad in the red zone, but he had seven, I think seven of those 15 attempts were inside the 20 or inside the 10. But Carson Wentz just like forgot how to play football. He's trying to shovel pass. It was a bad weekend for shovel passes. I don't know how many of them <laughs> yeah. went wrong. But it was a it was a week where I'm sure that coaches across the league sat down and said, we're not doing this shit anymore. Uh, but I think Jonathan Taylor is closer to that week one stat line than that week two stat line. And I'd be running out to snap up anyone or to bite the hand off anyone who was trading him, looking to trade him at the moment. But who, who, who won? Who is trading Jonathan Taylor to? What would you actually give up for Jonathan Taylor? That would make the owner actually say, yeah, I'd consider it. And three, the, the difference between week one stat line and week two stat line is five catches and 58 yards, which I mean, of course, in fantasy perspective, that's about six and a half points, depending on the scoring format. But that doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence that, wow, something's going to change and it's going to be drastic. I don't know, this offense is about to become – oh, sorry. Uh, oh, sorry, go Chris, go, go ahead. I was going to oh, say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, no, please. All yours. I was going to say that since Nader brought up like who you trade for, like uh, Mike Davis and Michael Pittman. I don't want to take I wouldn't take it. If two, I for one? No, two for one? Not even two for one? Okay, so a, a fantasy rule for everybody listening. If you are taking two players and giving away one, you automatically lost that trade because congratulations, you have to drop another player. So it always becomes a two for two trade, but you always, and actually it becomes a three for one because actually it becomes a four for one in realistically reality because now your opponent, he got one very valuable player and he also emptied out a roster spot so he could stash a player so you made the opponent's roster infinitely better than your roster because yeah you got two pieces but you still have to drop a player in order to fill that roster so you have to drop a player that you probably want to stash or keep or potentially use in your starting lineup on a bye week or an injury and then you get two players that are not equal to the talent of the first player you gave up you never want to do a two-for-one trade if you are on the receiving end of two players I don't know. I mean, because at the very least, that that player that they're picking up is somebody off the waiver wire. So I'd say that's like a half a player. Can, can we at least meet in the middle and say that's a half a player? Because you got to wait hand- for later. If yeah, it's a handcuff, yeah, it's a half a player. But I mean, having a handcuff on a roster is always valuable. It, it depends because you're still, I mean, it could be a roster clogger. I mean, the only other guy that I can think of off the top of my head, like, is A.J. Dillon really worth it as of right now? Because we're still waiting for Aaron Jones to get hurt. I mean, only, the only other handcuff I think is worth something right now might be Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard. And Tony Pollard ain't even really a handcuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just oh. like, I don't know. I mean, I would just say that there's at least there's fair value out there for a couple of trades to be made for you to pick up the guys that are producing now, like Mike Davis and Michael Pittman, that you could give for a guy that's not producing right now. And Jonathan Taylor, that was just the one that like popped into my head that could at least get you something. That they, at least it's worth the conversation, I think. Uh-huh. I, th- I think you should always, I mean, of course you should always try 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I'm saying. But and what were you going to say, Shane? What were you going to say? I was uh, I was basically going to say that with Jacob Eason potentially coming in today, as we've talked about with Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. likely missing time, that's about to become a Jonathan Taylor-centric offense for better or worse. And that might mean more dump-off passes to him. It might mean, well, it's probably going to mean more Naheem Hines, but we'll see him with those similar opportunities in the red zone. You can't be seven. You can't have seven opportunities inside the 10 and five inside the five and not like fall into the end zone most weeks. CEH has a better opportunity of scoring a touchdown if you give him seven tries than Jonathan Taylor right now. How many tries, Nada, do you think it would take you to get in from inside the five? You know what? Give me five tries. 100. It would take me 100 tries. (laughs) (laughs) My first attempt would be the up and over, and then I would go for the dive, and then I would die. Very, very much like she would be crushed. Yeah, I I cannot get up out of a chair without grunting or something like that. So me trying to go like five yards to get into an end zone, that ain't happening with my back giving out. So that's just not happening. But I thought it was like, so we're all assuming that Naheem Hines, like with like with Jacob Eason coming in, Naheem Hines is going to see a larger role. But that game, so 51 points in that game last week with 27 to 24, Naheem Hines, two targets. Why, why is that? Like Jonathan Taylor had more targets than Naheem Hines during a game that we knew they were going to win, and Jacob Eason came into that game. So it's not like the usage suddenly flipped, even in a game that they had a shot at winning. That might have been like somewhat far-fetched, but at least they had a shot at winning that game. So I don't know if it's that, it's that simplistic to say that, well, because Jacob Eason is going to be there, that immediately means that Naheem Hines is going to get more work. I don't know. It just seems like something funky happened in that game where it's just where we would have expected – Hines to get more work it just didn't happen so unless he's hurt or something like that I'm just not seeing that workload that's going to completely shift to him because when they played against Seattle Hines got what, what eight targets and like that was the workload we had expected but in a game that they had like a decent shot at winning I'm not seeing that workload and now with Jacob Eason likely to start it's just we can't I don't think we can just summarily say that Hines is the guy that's going to get like, you know, six, seven, eight targets or, or whatever. It might just be Taylor getting those targets because between the two of them, who do you think is going to be able to get more work done on the ground with those targets and make the most of them? I say Jonathan Taylor. Yes, I'm going to agree with Jonathan Taylor. Now for, for the Rams anomaly, and that's because there is a guy you might have heard of him. His name is Aaron Donald, and he's uh, he, he's pretty good on football. So he's got he, my back. Yeah, he, see, he's got my bags and he he requires a little bit more attention. And because he requires that little bit more attention, that requires the running back to spend a little bit more attention and attentive to towards the defensive ends on uh, either side and in pass blocking. And he spent running backs, whoever it was, spent a lot of time pass blocking. That's why I'm looking at the receiving stat line and I'm going, okay, I understand why there was no receptions from the running backs because they were pass blocking a lot. They needed to pass block a lot. And I mean, Carson Wentz, he was running for his life with six seven pass blockers trying to help him out through a rams four man rush so mm-hmm. it, 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 that one okay i'm willing to chalk it up as okay you had a tough opponent tough system tough scheme but of course we're still talking about jonathan taylor here and he still had a similar stat line to last week which was considered an extremely favorable matchups and if you looked at fantasy pros expert rankings where of course as i plug myself you can find my rankings on there uh if you look me up on there you would be able to find my rankings a lot of people had him in the top 10 to top five of potential rankings list from running back so i mean when you see start seeing two consistent stat lines from two different 
two very different defenses, you start to wonder, okay, what am I doing? What's the expected output? So of course I did with same thing with Michael Pittman. I have Jonathan Taylor for the trade market. And I want to ask you guys, okay, would you do this trade for Jonathan Taylor? And right now I'm looking at one. Uh, you're giving away Nick Chubb and you're getting Jonathan Taylor and Odo Beckham. No. Mm. No. No. I don't think I could do it. Okay. Jonathan Taylor for Justin Jefferson. No. Oh, no. No. So you would rather have Jonathan Taylor? Rather Justin Jefferson. You'd oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I'm not trading Justin Jefferson to buy low on Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. So both of you guys would rather have Justin Jefferson. Yes, 100. percent Okay, okay. Uh, Jonathan Taylor or Odo Beckham and Devin. S okay, okay, that one's actually pretty. Devin Singletary, that's his name. So <laughs> uh, Devin Singletary and Odo Beckham for Jonathan Taylor. All day. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so, so, somebody bought low and somebody sold high. So uh, yep. I'll congratulate that guy on that trade. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So <laughs> this one I think might be a little bit troll, but I feel like I need to say it. Jonathan Taylor for Justin Tucker and DJ Moore. Lord have mercy. Yeah, hats off to whoever pulled that one off. I mean, uh -huh. yeah, that is that's a trade right there. Yeah. Okay, th th this one requires a little bit of a discussion. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor and Stefan Diggs for Devontae Adams. Whoo, that's a good trade right there. For who? The Devonte, I think, for the person that sold Devonte, to be quite honest, I think. Now, now he's he's buying low. He's buying blow on two players, and he's selling high on Devonte Adams. In theory, you're selling high. You know, I don't think you could ever sell high on Devonte Adams, considering his expected workload and production list of 17 mm -hmm. touchdowns last year. But he he's definitely buying low on Jonathan Taylor and Stephon Diggs, who have both coming off of underwhelming weeks. I want to say. Yeah, that's really disappointing. But from an opportunity standpoint, from a, mm -hmm. yeah, from an opportunity standpoint, both Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams should have like a similar target share on a week to week basis from a projection standpoint. And on top of that, you're getting Diggs and Jonathan Taylor, who would potentially be like an RB1 or at the very least, let's say, low end RB1, high end RB2, like most weeks. Yeah, I'll take yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I think that yeah, for the guy that sold high or sold low or however you want to look at it, who gave up Devontae Adams to get Diggs and Taylor. But yeah, I like that. I really okay. like that. What about you, Sheehan? It's a good deal. It's good business. I mm -hmm. I, I like it. I think that's a, a league winning deal for both parties, potentially. Yeah. I would in that case, I almost want the Taylor Diggs side because they that's two a grade assets as far as I'm concerned for one slightly more a grade asset. Yeah. Now I want to say so, the person who traded away Devonte Adams has some big cojones because I don't think, even though it's not a bad offer, I don't think I'd be able to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. That'd be tough. I mean, cause you're both giving up essentially first round picks, uh huh. but then the other guy's getting a first round pick back and a second round pick. Yes. Essentially. So that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's a pretty good deal. I don't think I like the difference it. between Diggs and Adams is Jonathan Taylor. So it's a good deal for, for that person. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. the person who sold Adams for that. Yeah, um, I, I went on a rant five minutes ago saying if you ever receive two players and give away one, you automatically lost that trade. But I mean, in this case... I don't I'm think willing, that's the case. Yeah, I, in this case, I'm willing to let that slide and say, okay, you can drop a stash for Stefan Diggs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that works out.
Yeah, that works out. Okay, one more. Jonathan Taylor for Aaron Rodgers and AJ Brown. Jonathan Taylor for Aaron Rodgers and AJ Brown. One QB. Unfortunately, it does not tell me the rule setups. I mean, in one QB, I mean, so it's more or less. Maybe he's uh, a Ben Roethlisberger owner. Maybe he's a Wentz owner. Maybe, you know, one of his quarterbacks got injured. I mean, what, four quarterbacks got injured last week? Yeah. He, he might be trying to gain a quarterback that he doesn't have to stream every week. But either way, I mean, I would take the gamble on Jonathan Taylor versus uh, AJ Brown. I think that's a fair trade on its own, like on its face. So tack on Aaron Rodgers on top of that, while especially like in a one QB league, you know, like the level of replaceability for quarterbacks, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think that kind of spices it up to the point where, yeah, I could, I could see that one working out too. I think it's a good deal I, for either, for either side, to be quite honest. Now face value says this is an even deal, but my issue is, is running backs are so difficult to replace and potential RB one running backs or even harder to find that mm-hmm. e- even though it's equal from wide receiver Jonathan Taylor to AJ Brown in theory, I still think that Jonathan, the person giving up Jonathan Taylor lost because he probably doesn't have a good enough replacement for Jonathan Taylor to the fact that you could probably replace AJ Brown a little bit easier. It's easier to find a fill-in running back than it is a fill-in wide receiver. It is easier to find a mid-tier running back than it is an elite wide receiver. Ah, I'm, I'm with Sheehan on that one. Really? This, this is how zero yeah. RB works now. We had a whole show about it. Yeah, yeah you were there. Because I, I, I was could, there, but I don't. I don't like that. I don't like it. Because I could conceivably, because you can get by. I mean, honestly, because we've seen like just the loads of rosters that have wound up working out that way. You can get by with Melvin Gordon like having a 60 yard touchdown like one week, or or waiting for James Conner to bang in a touchdown or two at some point. I mean, you can um, Tony Pollard like coming out of nowhere and having a jet screen for or you know, jet sweep for a touchdown. So like those back end of the uh, of the roster type running backs are typically going to be there. But are you really gonna like know when to start Christian Kirk when he gets two touchdowns, Rondell Moore when he pops up for seventy yards and a touchdown, or like one hundred and fourteen and touchdown when he had yesterday? I mean, any of those back end of the roster wide receivers that you that Quez Watkins one hundred seventeen yards. Anybody start him? Probably not. So it's just those back end of the roster wide receivers are difficult ask to start on a week to week basis. You're starting AJ Brown every week. We just had to, I mean, when we were just talking about Jonathan Taylor, well, you might feel like you have to start him. You're not going to feel confident about doing it. AJ Brown, I I don't care. I'm going to be starting that, that type of archetype of, of player. I'm starting him every week without, without any reservations. Now, Jonathan, I mean, not Jonathan, AJ Brown had a very disappointing week in himself. I think he had like three drop passes. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, I think dude tweeted out saying like his family member said he couldn't even catch COVID if he tried. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think he's right. And I mean, he had nine targets, three receptions, 43 yards. We like the nine targets. That's nice. Mm-hmm. But three receptions for 43 yards. I mean, I'm a little surprised we were not talking about him later on in that show. We don't, I don't see him in the show notes because I mean, that I mean, was we, could to, we could talk ad nauseum about that Tennessee offense where Brown oh, yeah. sort of had a good week that first week and Derrick Henry did not, and then Julio did not. But then Julio blew up this week. Derrick Henry blew up this week. I imagine that it's going to be sort of a can-you-get-all-the-clowns-to-stand-up type challenge, and most weeks it's going to be one of them missing out, and I think this week it was A.J. Brown. I think the balance of probabilities is it's going to be Julio Jones most weeks who misses out or has to make – more hay 
from fewer opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. It was also a weird game. I mean, it, we know Henry is the tractor, but he's not going to have 35 rushing attempts and five targets each week. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was really bizarre. I mean, just to see him pop up for, yeah, what, like six targets or something like that? or like, Yeah, just, it's ridiculous. Well, I think they were losing, what, what was it, like 27 and nine going into halftime and then somehow bouncing back into the, just like the Patriots against the Falcons in the Super Bowl, just kind of having an ultimate reversal. Now, so, I mean, assuming A.J. Brown catches the three passes he dropped, A.J. Brown would probably have like a decent enough stat line for people to go, okay, I'm comfortable starting or not. I'm not uncomfortable with what's going on down there. So, I mean, yeah, I'm One willing of the passes to give, he dropped was a touchdown. Uh-huh. So I'm willing to give A.J. Brown a pass. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like a slap on the wrist. Do better next time, but you're yeah. willing to give him a pass. Um, Get that stick him on your gloves, bro. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Cheat, <laughs> what you got to do. You're on my fantasy lineup. You do what you got to do in order to win. So yeah. we'll talk about Green Bay's offense real fast. I mean, week one, three points, 229 yards. Week two, 35 points, 325 yards. I think the difference between these two was the defense that they played against, but uh, I'll lift the floor to you, Sheehan. I'll let you start it off. I think the real Green Bay offense is the latter rather than the former. We're not going to see four touchdowns from Aaron Jones most week, but we are going to see at least 300 yards, I would expect, and we are probably going to see at least four touch, the three or four touchdowns a week. So week one was an aberration. We know week one throws up funky results. It all looked off, but... We're going to see more of week two than we did week one. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty straightforward. What about you, Chris? No, I agree with that. Well, not to maybe that degree. Like, I don't know if he's going to be passing like three or four touchdowns a week uh, to like even meet up with his what, like nine, was it 9% or 9.1% TD rate that he had last year, which is a career high, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think it's more of uh, last week than the week prior. Uh, that was one thing that I wrote about like during the off season is that like while regression is probably going to hit, he's still going to be good for, from a fantasy perspective. I mean, it's the same, the same argument with Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers is essentially like their goal line back. I mean, the dude had like eight touchdowns from the one yard line, like last year, that it makes like no freaking sense. So I can still see them having like a, like him having a good outing from a statistical perspective, but it's just, are we going to see like those blow up games from last year? Yeah, like probably, especially when they play the Lions twice. So it's just that I think that's still within his range of outcomes. But are we going to have like those like massive games like week in and week out? Probably not just for, you know, just for him, like going back to his statistical mean. But yeah, I think their offense is going to like behave more like yesterday than the, than bef- uh, than we saw in like in week one. Because like mm-hmm. if he connects with uh, MVS on what those what three or four deep shots that he took to MVS. Oh, then it's just like, you know, we're back to 2020 again. But it's just stuff like that that you won't see as often. Mm-hmm. I um I think we're going to see basically a watered down version of what the Cowboys did through the first four and a half weeks with Dak last year. Green Bay's defense mm-hmm. is what's really going to keep Green Bay's offense interesting. We know Rodgers yeah. can keep up in a shootout with everyone, despite the fact he thinks he has no weapons around him. Um, he's got re- he begged them to bring back Randall Cobb. He hasn't so much as looked in his direction. So. Their defense is going to keep their offense in just in interesting, and there's plenty of points to be had. And although I don't think Adams has found the end zone yet this year, that's only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I do also want to point out he had a he had two passing touchdowns to Aaron Jones. One of them was on like the three yard line. That could definitely will could have been a run in, and then of course the dump off to Aaron Jones, and he happened to find his way into the end zone. If those are rushing touchdowns, then I think we would be speaking about Aaron Rodgers in a much different manner, considering he happened to just 
Pattis stat line in a more unconventional way. But I mean, uh, I don't think anybody here is going to be downing Aaron Rodgers for the foreseeable future. Now, for somebody I am going to be downing is Jameis Winston. I mean, week one, <laughs> only six incomplete passes, 148 yards, five touchdowns. And then week two, uh, 12, inc- I mean, sorry, 11 incompletions and then 111 yards and then zero touchdowns and two interceptions. So short-lived hype train, right? I don't know about short-lived hype train, but you do think that it's got to be somewhat, uh, I don't want to say coincidental, but let's think about what, like who Jameis has historically played against the most since his time in the league. Where, where was he at before New Orleans? In the same division, right? And mm-hmm. then, so now he's played against Carolina. How many times has Carolina seen him? How much tape does Carolina have on him? How does, like, how do you think of any team in the NFL or not any team, but any other division in the NFL would know more than anybody that if you continue to pressure Jameis Winston, he's going to turn into old Jameis Winston. And of course, so of course it came against the Panthers. Like they've been also like, even in week one, they were at least like right above league average or close to top 12 in terms of pressure rate on quarterbacks. And so they knew going into this game, like I, like I have to believe that because I, I think uh, Matt rule, Joe Brady, or at the very least Matt rule, is a good as a good head coach like he know and a defensive minded coach as well so that he knew going into this what the game plan should be against Jameis Winston all you have to do is generate pressure and he turns into old Jameis and that's exactly what happened they continue to dial up the pressure and then he regressed back to essentially 2018 2019 but he doesn't have the weapons that he had back then when he was with Tampa Bay or when he had to uh, when he had to start for Drew Brees in order to be at the other end of those errant passes. Doesn't have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Doesn't have Michael Thomas or any of his other guys in order to bail him out when he makes those passes. Deontay Harris ain't, ain't one of those guys. Marcus Callaway's Marcus Callaway ain't one of those guys. So that's all you really need to do in order to get him off of his game plan. Green Bay couldn't do that because we just watched Green Bay unable to like do anything against Jared Goff. So I, I get why this happened. And so now basically the rest of the league like knows it's just like, just send everybody and we can just like turn Jameis back into his old self again. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not starting to, I'm not even going to give Jameis a streamer line value. I don't want him no. rostered. I'm never going to recommend anybody ever start Jameis Winston. Sheen, are you on the same boat? I'm not on the same boat. I think both of these are statistical outliers. The first one was week one. There was just incredible efficiency. I think no one's ever thrown that many touchdowns with that few yards, or or if they has it, it'd be you know someone back in leather helmets. Uh, yeah, and you know it was for the Dayton Triangles or something like that. And then week two, eleven for one hundred and eleven. Oh for two. I mean, that's that's James. Being like half the Saints staff were missing due to COVID. That that is an outlier game as far as I'm concerned. As as you say, Chris, Carolina have plenty of tape on him. So I think his reality is somewhere between these. We're still going to see the picks. He's still Jameis. Lazic or not, he is still going to throw bad passes and his players are not going to come down with him. But those passing attempts are going to increase. There, there was just a weird game from New Orleans. I think they could easily throw the book out on both of them. And I think the NFL teams will have to throw the book out on both of those games and be scratching the heads of or the Patriots will be scratching the heads of what to do this week. So I'd, I'd back Billy B to cook up something that Jameis is not going to want to see this week. But in all honesty, I could easily see him sort of having like a, a three touchdown, two interception and 290 yard game this week. Mm-hmm. All righty. So, I mean, no, I, I just can't recommend anybody. I still don't want to start him. 
Yeah. No, I don't want to start him either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, to be fair, when he, they went against the Packers, there was a couple turnovers that kind of put Jameis in prime position to score points without having to throw too many yards. Yep. I want to move on from him real fast. I don't want to talk about Jameis. I don't like him. Corey mm-hmm. Davis. I do want to talk about him. Five catches, 97 yards, two touchdowns week one. And then week two, two catches for a respectable eight yards. Uh, you know, real fast. I mentioned this earlier, Earlier, sorry, Bell Belichick against rookie quarterbacks. And uh, I kind of want to go through a little bit of a timeline and uh, see your guys' opinion on this. So we're going to start off in 2020 versus Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, Tua had 145 yards passing, an interception, and two sacks. Not a phenomenal game. 2020 against Justin Herbert. I mentioned this one earlier. He had 200 yards passing, two interceptions, and three sacks. A QBR of 43.7, which is a, a shy of semi-decent. 2019 against Daniel Jones, 15 for 31, 161 yards, three interceptions, QBR of 35. 2018, I think we all remember this game as the day Sam Darnold saw ghosts, 167 yards, four sacks. And then 2018, Josh Allen, uh, let's see, 217 yards, two interceptions. But hey, he had a passing touchdown. So a QBR of 52.6, 2017, Deshaun Watson. Sorry, I'm a little rambling right now. 301 yards. Actually, Deshaun Watson had a pretty good game. 301 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and two sacks. And then uh, we'll talk about Jared Goff, 2016. Of course, he got decimated in the Super Bowl. But, you know, of course, rookie campaign, two interceptions, four sacks for 161 yards and a QBR of 43. And then, of course, I could I could keep going down on this list. He has a very long list of uh, rookie quarterbacks and how he's absolutely demolished them. And now we could add the legendary Zachy Wilson onto this list as he threw four interceptions and had an absolute disappointing game. So, uh, of course, with all this being said and all this useful information being thrown at you or completely irrelevant information, what do you guys feel about this? I will give you some mitigating information. This was not the Sam Darnold ghost game. Zach Wilson threw bad passes. This wasn't Awful. the the Bill Belichick scheming up wizardry that we've seen him do. Yes, I'm sure there were things that Zach Wilson hadn't seen before, but Zach Wilson is still learning how to play football. This is his second game. He needs to know that there are not windows. or oh, the windows that you can throw into are not the same ones you could throw into in college when you're running around for BYU and you're a little, you've got a whole bunch of players who are a little bit older than everyone else because they've all been off on their mission for a year or so. Corey Davis should have had a longer catch. There was a, a DPI called against JC Jackson on him, uh, so that could have been a long catch, could have even been a touchdown, which would have saved his stat line. But, yeah, we... Uh, I mean... We saw Wilson play some good football in week one. So this week, as far as I'm concerned, you could almost throw this out as as, as Zach Wilson. You want to learn from it, but this is not Sam Darnold seeing pass rusher that isn't there. This was a guy just playing bad football. Yeah, one one hundred percent. I had to cover this game uh, for the recap episode for NBC Sports, and I, for the life of me, I could not understand like what the game plan was for uh, like for Zach Wilson and then also why that game plan wasn't just immediately adjusted. Uh, I do not understand why you would ask your rookie quarterback to be taking deep shots against a Bill Belichick led defense. Why? Like what, what's, what is to be gained unless that person is sprinting down the field wide open and not a defender in sight, then I can understand it. But Zach Wilson was pressing into like if not double coverage, but triple coverage 
I mean, the his third interception, I believe, on a deep shot to Corey Davis down the right sideline. Corey Davis was already double covered, and then uh, I think it was J.C. Jackson came in underneath both of those guys and 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 then plucked the ball out of the air. I have no idea what what he was looking at when he was throwing those passes. I think, but to keep the focus on Corey Davis, I would say that before the game got completely out of hand, he was the team's essentially like he was their wide receiver one, but it was after most of the turnovers already happened after uh, Damien Harris had already, you know, basically turned to Marshawn Lynch and trucked like six guys, like going to the end zone. Uh, that's when they essentially shifted most of their attention on offense to Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, so on and so forth. So while Corey Davis, if you just look at the box score, he's probably what third or fourth, I believe in the pecking order from a target perspective. Cause I think Braxton Berrios had like, what, like eight, nine, 10 targets, like somewhere in that range. So I would, I would just completely throw that out because it looks to me, it almost it's almost a clear indication that the coaching staff was just like, yeah, let's let's just go ahead and scrap this entire game plan, like whatever we have for him. Let's just try and get him out of this game uh, without just completely just wrecking his like his mentality because they they couldn't pull him. Like that would have been like one of those just like mental breaks that you just can't do to a rookie quarterback. So the best thing they could have done for him was what they did and just give him just the short stuff. Give him Elijah Moore, give him Braxton Berrios, and just get him out of there without taking just a massive injury. And that that's then that's pretty much what happened. So for Corey Davis, I'm not worried about it. It's almost like Jameis Winston, just one of those just outlier conditions where we just kind of toss that to the side, hope Zach Wilson comes back in week three, like whole, like from a mental state. And he's not like the you know, this whole seeing ghost thing with Sam Darnold and wrecked from a mental standpoint. And they're just back to business in week three. Now I'll, I'll, uh, go ahead, Jan. I'll tell you who Zach Wilson is. This He was Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back. He's looked at Darth <laughs> Vader and he's gone, this bloke has been looming over us too long. Like the Patriots have beaten up on the Jets forever. Yeah. Or at least for the past 20 years. And he's gone out there and he's swinging his lightsaber and old Darth Vader's just throwing things at him, batting him away. At the end of the day, cut off his hand and left him for dead. Now, we know that Zach Wilson is not going to play. I think it was the arrogance of youth of wanting to come out to ball out and have the city of New York behind him in the sort of a week removed from the 20 year anniversary of nine 11. And this is, this is a new era in New York. And I think it got away from him. You know, Joe Willie was there. It was just, it was too much for Zach Wilson, but I will say I wouldn't be playing Corey Davis this week. They are playing the Broncos and as much as uh, I expect the Jets will need to throw, he's going to see some nice tight coverage, whether that's from Patrick Sertan, whether that's from someone else. Uh, I'm sure there is going to be a lot of pass rush in Zach Wilson's face, and we could see a similar stat line for Corey Davis. So he might be a post-week three by low. So, so uh, you know, while that analogy is phenomenal, he is basically Luke Skywalker. I was going to say he's kind of like me, where if you tell me, Oh, yeah. yeah, you're a lot like Luke Skywalker as well, Nana. Yeah, like, yeah. If, if you tell me not to do something, the first thing I'm going to do is exactly that. Just because you told me I can't, and I feel like I need to prove you wrong. And yeah. that's exactly what you know Z- Z- my boy Zachy Wilson did. He, he, they told him, hey, you can't do this. So the first thing he did was exactly that. Yes, and, don't don't throw at one of the best corners yeah. in the league. Like, yeah. don't do that. No, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah, do it. Exactly. I'm going to do it again. Yeah, and I'm going to do it three more times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the uh, the goofy. I'll uh, I'll f and do it again. Yeah, I'm ready to go again. for yeah. his fifth one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was thinking right there. Like, yeah. I'll do it again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what uh, 
I respect it. That's it. There's nothing to say. I respect Zach Wilson even more. I really like Zach Wilson before this. I really like Zach Wilson now. Now I'm going jersey shopping, trying to find his jersey. There you go. On the cheap, mm. cheap price. I think I think I could probably get it with like a nine percent less tax after that yeah. game. But all right, so he's in the right place for you to get a new jersey. Uh, not, not bad. Not bad. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I like that one. I like that one. So I I, I don't want to mention Ceh because he is he he's in the Amari Cooper and Jonathan Taylor camp where. You're starting two bad games. It it, it doesn't really matter. You're starting him. It it doesn't matter. You're starting him. He sucks. Congratulations. You're starting him. You draft him in the second round. Congratulations. You deal with you. You deal with your idiocracy of drafting Ceh. I mean Taylor Swift was (laughs) not Taylor Swift. Jonathan Taylor. DeAndre Swift. Swift. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. My my rant got me angry. DeAndre Swift was there. He he was there. You could have taken him. You didn't do it. Your fault. You deal with that. You took Ceh. You took you, you took uh. Antonio Gibson, congratulations. You you dug your grave, you lay in your grave, and you start them. That was my rant. Well, I would say, yeah, though, well. for the CEH, let's say, like the, the for the faithful few that are still hoping he turns into something, uh, I did catch this during the broadcast, and somebody like fact-checked me if it never happened or not. But I, I, can't, I can't remember if it was Chris Collinsworth that mentioned it or Al Michaels. I forget which one of the two. But they mentioned that uh, Baltimore's, uh, like one of the Baltimore defensive coordinators when they were talking, having meetings over the weekend, mentioned CEH specifically as somebody that they were watching. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, you've got Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, like whatever in front of you. But they mentioned, but they remembered CEH specifically because CEH had like one of his best receiving lines against any defense last season when he played against Baltimore. So I, I uh, and I do find it interesting that for as much hype as Kansas city made about trying to uh, add in more like pulling guards and guards that would allow them to do like more interesting things in the running game and involving CEH as a, as a passer out of the backfield, CEH wasn't used that way against Baltimore. Like even in, I believe there were a couple of situations where Patrick Mahomes actually looked towards CEH's side, like for a screen pass, but then dumped it off to one of the fullbacks. And I need to go back and watch that play. My my only hope is that Patrick Mahomes already saw that the linebackers and safeties were already keyed on CEH and not on the fullback. And that's why he turned it over to the fullback because the fullback could do more with that pass than CEH could have. That's the only thing that I can put towards that. But otherwise, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. It's two bad games. He's running the most routes out of any running back like currently on that team. He has like a, a stranglehold on most of the rushing share. I mean, he's even being used on like on third downs. So it's just, I, I think the better days are coming. We'll see like what the, if there is sort of like some sort of doghouse scenario with Andy Reid because of the fumble that basically lost in the game. So, I, but that's the only thing that I can put stock in like moving forward is that the opportunity should be there. And in this particular matchup, he's had like, I mean, they've had, they faced two tough defenses from a rushing perspective, two weeks in a row. So I just, I think that's going to, if the usage continues, I think the production will come too. Mm. Now, to be fair, if I'm a safety or a linebacker and I see CEH on a screen pass, the first thing I'm going to do is ignore fullback and go to CEH. So I think that's a, a, I I think that is a phenomenal train thinking logical moment done by Patrick Mahomes to throw it to the fullback. Uh, But I mean, it's, just a, rough. it's looking yeah, at you, it's you look rough. at the stat lines and it's just, it's just what? rough. Yeah. It's rough. Even, I mean, like no 100 yard games. He hasn't even eclipsed like 50 yards in a game yet. 
barely used in like in the passing game. So it's just like, okay, I get it. I, I understand why folks are frustrated. You know, if, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, he, he lives by the motto and I respect it of life is too short to check down. And when you have Tyreek Hill running deep, when you have Pat, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, you know, just wreaking havoc. Yeah. I, I wouldn't check down either. I mean, yeah. Every man's got to have a code. I mean, if it works for you, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and uh, I mean, when CEH, so, so you you mentioned the opportunity is there, and I kind of want to disagree because he's not getting any red zone work. And I think I think people drafting Ceh had an idea that he probably wasn't going to get too much red zone work, considering mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes is a stat whore, and uh, so is Travis Kelsey and Ty- Tyreek Hill. They're both little stat whores. That, you know, they'll they'll do that touch pass forward, a little touch pass before they give it to Ceh. And I mean, to be fair, it oh, is far more effective. to an offensive lineman before mm-hmm. giving it to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, and to be fair, it'll still probably be much more effective. So I feel like people need to realize when you take Ceh, his stat line comes from in between the twenties and. When they're not doing that, now you have an ineffective running back that has no niche. Mm-hmm. It's I, like uh, fancy Antonio Gibson. It's it's a fancy Antonio. Oh, man, God, who would I rather have? Ceh Antonio Gibson. I know she and we had a great debate about this. I <laughs> argued for Ceh aside, and then we both agreed at the end. We said, okay, but if you're in the scenario, take DeAndre Swift. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I really hope people who listen to that episode agreed and did the same thing. But man, I don't know who I'd want out of those two. Yeah, that that's that's a great debate that nobody wants to argue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I that's why I, I went on there because th- there wasn't a suitor and. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, so let's move on a little bit because uh, you know we're we're kind of running late on this episode. We're running an hour thirty right now. I'm sure after a little bit chopped down, it'll probably go to like an hour fifteen, hour twenty. So let's go to the two minute drill. Sheen, I'm going to hand off the floor. Cool. So this is a Sunday World Trial this week. You have two minutes to talk whatever you like about week three, matchups you're looking forward to, games you want to see, players you want to start, players you don't want to start, anything at all. You have two minutes. And uh, Natty, you can kick us off. Oh, God. So I want to talk about the travesty that is going to be... Hold on. I got to find it. I got to find it. I got to find it. Okay. I want to try to talk about the phenomenal game that is going to be... Hold on. I'm still got... I'm still trying to find it. I'm sorry. The uh, Arizona Cardinals versus Jacksonville Jaguars. So did you now guys know that the Seahawks are the only team in the NFC West that have lost a game? And uh, if that doesn't fill you with confidence, the Arizona Cardinals are not going to lose a game considering the miracle of the Vikings kicker absolutely blowing <laughs> another shank. Like, do you guys remember a couple years ago, the Vikings did that in the playoff game against the Seahawks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. most Vikings fans will uh, point to Gary Anderson as yeah. the playoff shank that they don't want to talk about. Um, yeah, that was not in like the in the freezing cold too, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't remember. 97, 98, maybe. Or are we talking about the more recent one? I thought it was the, the more recent one I thought was like, yeah, it was like almost uh like zero degrees or something like that. I thought it was like really cold during that game. Uh, I could be wrong. Should should have missed. It's playoffs. You got yeah. the clutch gene. Get, get the clutch gene. You know, that's what you want. Get the You're clutch gene. Get the clutch All right. gene. All right. So, 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 so some people say that I have the clutch gene and they would be 100% right, especially if they play with me in Warzone. They, they'd see me with that clutch gene. I, you know, if I'm my last one alive, I'm getting you that dub. Anyway, so uh, speaking of anti-clutch gene, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars led by the rookie Trevor Lawrence, who, in my opinion, who's he's kind of been underwhelming. You know, that that, that might be a hot take, but 
he's been pretty underwhelming to me. I've been a little disappointed by his stat lines, but he, it's going to be another disappointing game. He's going to get absolutely obliterated. He's going to get absolutely destroyed, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. Even though I'm a Niners fan and I don't want to see the Cardinals win, I'm going to enjoy watching a rookie quarterback get obliterated because I I've watched my boy Zachy Wilson get obliterated. So as long as it's not him, I'm going to be pretty happy. Is that is that you you done? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's 10, all I got. ten seconds left. I, I was uh, ready you, to. You, I, could, uh, I could do a lot. To blow you seconds. off like uh, like Andy Reid with some, I, some <laughs> bad clock management. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. That's it. I'm done. I rest my case. Cool. Well, Chris, what do you got for us? Uh, so I'm excited to actually see this uh, Philadelphia Dallas matchup. So now, like both teams uh, above average in uh, in neutral pace. So we should see like a number of plays. Even though we were hoping we were hoping to see the same with this uh, with the Chargers Dallas game, but I think the the refs uh, pretty much decided like, nah, we're not going to allow that because I think they had like like 20 freaking penalties in that game, which was absolutely ridiculous. But I'm hoping that's not the case like this week. Uh, my con- my concern after watching uh, some of the Philadelphia San Francisco game is that Jalen hurts like essentially kind of regressed like back to some of the mechanics that we saw for him during his rookie season, uh, not really setting his feet, not really having the same pocket awareness. I mean, they think they had what, like one, I remember one drive specifically, which started off with a, what a 90 yard pass to like to Quez Watkins got them in the red zone. They don't even walk away with three points. They walk away with no points. Like, which is absolutely ridiculous to think like from a, a uh, from a statistical standpoint going all the way down the field and then coming coming away with absolutely nothing um but at least against the Dallas defense I'm hoping that we can see a bit more uh production just like even with just Jalen hurts because Dallas's defense for as much as we like we kind of like dunked on them like before the season they actually have been able to get after the quarterback quite a bit their pass coverage has been fairly decent as well I mean Justin Herbert like had like a number of passes either tipped I uh, had like what through two picks if I'm not mistaken uh on Sunday so I'm hoping that at the very least even if uh, the Eagles allow pressure. Jalen Hurts can avoid most of it, and we can see some uh, some more production for, uh, from him from a rushing perspective. And hopefully, he can also use some of the speed of Devonta Smith, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, in order to get by like most of their any of their other guys. Like a past, I think it was a uh, Diggs is like their primary cornerback for Dallas. That just takes away Devonta Smith, but we also have two speed demons in either Reagan or uh, or Watkins that can wind up like being at least how. Uh, Jalen Hurts winds up making his bet. And then, of course, on the other side, I mean, Dak Prescott and the other guys, that's what I want. <laughs> I'll take it. I like man. that. I like yeah. that. Awesome. No, that's uh, – I uh, I really like that as a uh, as a game to preview. And I think, you know, the, the eyes of the NFC – or the eyes of the football world are always on the NFC East. Mm-hmm. So the better those games are, you know, the last thing we want is this to be a blowout. Uh-huh. We'll, yeah. we'll have enough of those. I do yeah. want to shout out the Tampa Bay versus Rams game because that's probably a Super Bowl preview and we get to see that week three. That's going to be a really good game. I'm really hoping that NFL Red Zone shows this game a lot. And uh, I, of course, you want to you, you shout out the Packers versus Niners. That's going to be Sunday night game. That's always going to be a good game. There's probably the, the two championship previews here, Tampa Bay at, at LA or Tampa Bay and LA and you know even potentially Chargers at Chiefs. I could see that. Being deep yeah. into January as well. Yeah. If all wait, 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 what? Sorry, can you say that again? Chargers and Chiefs? I could see Chargers and Chiefs happening deep in January as well. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Could be, yeah. Right. So I am very much excited to watch, well, we've already mentioned Chargers at 
Chargers at Chiefs. It'll be a three-screen Sunday for me. I'll have the uh, uh, the the Pats and Saints game. I'll have Red Zone on and uh, and Chargers at Chiefs, which I'm sure we'll see a lot on Red Zone as well. But I'm most interested to see the um, Miami at the Raiders this week. I think we've seen Derek Carr is leading the league in almost every offensive statistic. I think I saw that the Raiders are um, have the number one offense and the number and the thirtieth ranked uh, run game so we we've seen Derek Carr basically play the best football his career so far and that's that's a, a high bar considering he's had some played some very good football the Dolphins will obviously want to bounce back they were a solid defense in work in week one against Mac Jones and the Patriots they were obviously blown out by the Bills but a bit like um, Chris talked about with Carolina teeing off on Jameis they know how to play each other those teams the ACs they see each other twice a year and they all know how to play each other and and play each other well, but this is a good test for the Raiders. Um, they had a lot of pressure against uh, against Pittsburgh. Miami's line did not hold up against uh, the pressure well, and we saw Tua play pretty poor football. I think uh, I'm going to guess that Tua starts the game, but I don't think he finishes it. I think we could see uh, that injury exacerbated if he spends a lot of time on his ass. The other game I'm really looking forward to is Seattle at Minnesota. That should be a, a real shootout between probably the uh, the teams with the two best one-two punches at wide receiver. I think there's going to be a lot of points there. And uh, I'll be interested to see the progression of KJ Hamler. And last but not least, in what will be a tough matchup for his first NFL start, I could see the Browns going ham on Justin Fields and uh, really giving him some welcome to the NFL moments. All right. That is, uh, you know, I'll be surprised. Is is it confirmed Justin Fields starting? Or is it kind of like a wait and see? We're seeing how uh, Andy Dalton is. Pretty sure Dalton's done his uh, ACL or MCL, hasn't he? And it wasn't that I think he was diagnosed with a bone bruise. Mm. Uh, so at the very least, he's week to week. There's almost no chance that he plays if he hasn't already been declared out. I don't think he's been declared out yet, uh, but there's almost no chance that he plays. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Deontay Matt, Johnson. Matt Pretty Nagy much. Yeah. Would rather uh, boil his own hands than declare anyone but Andy Dalton the starter at the moment. Yeah, I'm. I'm it's really biz- a bizarre situation. Uh, with yeah, Matt Nagy, and I don't, I don't know what's going on with that, but yeah. There must be something going behind the scenes. Either in practice mode, Fields isn't doing good, he's struggling with something. I know he struggled with pass protection in the preseason. He got he kind of got blown up a few times. Say with Trey Lance, actually. Trey Lance had terrible pass protection calls, and he got blown up consistently in the preseason. He took a lot of big shots. So I think those are the, some of the two big things that are holding them back from becoming starters. Uh, other than that, A, my favorite prediction. Can you uh, segue away this into the Sheen? Yeah, I can. Uh, that's a uh, prognostications. Yeah, it's a big word. Matter. It's a big mm-hmm. word. So, I, I didn't even try. Chris, we have a, a we want a hot take from you, and we will rate it out of five as to how hot it is. If we don't yeah. think it's hot enough, you'll need to hot it up a bit more. Nada. Uh, oh, I should just say we are zero and four. I predicted that uh, the Chargers and. Uh, Cowboys game would have over 90 points and basically everyone out there would be a, a top six of their position. Obviously, that didn't happen. Nada, you said that Devontae Adams would have 150 yards and three touchdowns. I think he might have got close on yards if maybe got past that uh, 150 yards, but he didn't find the end zone. So what do you got for me this week, mate? Start with you, Chris. Or have you not thought of one yet? Oh, I got one. Well, okay. I got oh, one. All right, fire away. All right. Uh, let me know how spicy this is. Uh, Justin Fields. Top 
10 quarterback on the week against the Browns. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I'll, at least, like, I'll give you jumping off point, and then this is why I'm kind of thinking the way I'm thinking. Um, so Cleveland has played against uh, two, let's say, semi-mobile quarterbacks, like Patrick Mahomes in week one, semi-mobile at the very least. Uh, what, 18 yards and a touchdown, if I remember correctly. And like the his 10-yard scramble like into the end zone was actually on a scramble where he was credited with allowing pressure because that's part of what quarterbacks do. Like pressures aren't always considered to be like an offensive line stat. It could also be a quarterback stat. And that if the quarterback can avoid that pressure and wind up scrambling for a touchdown or at least for a first down, that's something that they can that, that gets attributed to them. And that's what Patrick Mahomes did. We saw something similar with Tyrod Taylor before he wound up like on the same play that he wound up ripping his hamstring up when he scampered for that touchdown. It was the same thing. I mean, he wound up avoiding the pressure running in for a touchdown, regardless of how much pressure that the Browns want to dial up. I mean, out of all the quarterbacks that they've faced so far, who do you guys think could possibly avoid it, avoid it one, avoid it and two, make the most of it from a yardage perspective. I mean, it has to be Justin Fields, right? I mean, dude runs a four, four forty. I mean, he can, uh, he can scamper or at least uh, he can run around with the best of them. So at least from a from a ground or from a uh, rushing yards perspective, I can already see Justin Fields having a decent day. And if you can wind up stringing together, let's say 150 yards and a touchdown or two, I mean, sec- the Brown secondary isn't all that great. So if Davis Mills can actually kind of get the job done against the Browns defense, I think Justin Fields could do the same. So at yep. least I think it's in the range of outcomes, at the very least for Justin Fields to have a serviceable day. But I'm going to go with the hot take and say he's going to be top 10. I think that's hot enough. Well, we we put a pass mark on me saying Zach Wilson would be a top 12 in week one. So for you, you to say uh, Fields would be a, a top, uh, that, that passes the sniff test to me, uh, Nana. All righty. Mine is Damian Harris has 100 rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, you're going to think, oh, that's not that spicy. But Nelson Aguilar is also going to have over 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. The baby dropper. They're both going to put up over 100 together with a touchdown. Is that hard? I'll, I'll like take it. it. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, take it. it. Yeah. Uh, who are they playing this week? Uh, who, who's, uh, New Orleans. The Saints. Ooh, yeah. So actually, that makes it even better because we'll see. We'll have to see if um, oh, who's their who's their corner that missed this past week. Um, uh, uh, Tavi, uh, um, Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah, Marshall yeah, yeah. Lattimore. We'll have to see if he's back this week as well. I mean, because I w- I would assume that he would draw Lattimore more often than not. But uh, either way, I mean, yeah, I like that. Uh huh. There we go. So, so actually, I was uh, I was thinking about a couple different hot takes. One of them is that I mean, of course, you know, we, we saw just that past Monday night that Aaron Jones he rushed for one uh, one rush touchdown and then he had three receiving touchdowns. The last person who did that was uh, surprisingly Danny Woodhead in 2015. <laughs> huh. That's so, a name I heard in a while. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I was gonna flip it. I was gonna say he's gonna have one receiving touchdown and three rushing touchdowns. But then I realized that he's going against the Niners. I don't want him to do that against the Niners, so I, I went with the Patriots. Yeah. Fair. Well, mine is every every starting rookie quarterback wins this week. Wow. I like that. Da- Davis Mills on Thursday night against the Panthers. Wow. Okay. Justin Fields against the Browns. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trevor Lawrence against the Cards. I don't like that one. And- <laughs> Actually, I like that one. I like it. <laughs> and Michael McCorkle Jones against the Saints. Hey, don't forget my boy, Zachy Wilson. Uh, oh, yeah. And Zach Wilson against Denver. Denver. Yeah. I'll- and 
He well, he's not technically a rookie, so I'm not throwing in Jacob Eason because that'd just be stupid. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I said that's like. I mean, you've gone from like hot take to oh lord, that's spicy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was well. My other one was going to be Cortland Sutton has 200 yards and two touchdowns, but I didn't feel that was spicy enough. Yeah, I was about to say like most folks are like almost like expecting that like after such <laughs> yeah. a decent outing like on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, I, in that case, I'll say the five rookie quarterbacks who are, sl- are slated to start this week all win. I like it. I like that I like one. It. That's a fair. That's a rootable. I could root for that. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so of course that's gonna have to up, that's gonna have to wrap up this episode. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at top tier tactics underscore, or you could follow the Sleeper Wire show at Twitter, which is probably the best option. And of course, sign up to our Patreon. Of course, you're gonna find that at our Sleeper Wire bio on Twitter. Of course, this is a charity podcast, so anytime you sign up to a Patreon, you of course donate to a greater cause. Of course, Shane, where could everybody find you? Uh, well, I am, as always, at Sheehan Solo on Twitter. I have all my fun articles and uh, interesting thoughts and rambling, barely cohesive thoughts on a Saturday as I'm half watching college football. So come along and join in. We've got lots of great articles going out at the moment on Sleepaway. And I suppose the only other thing that is left for me to do is to thank Chris for being on our show and he can tell the good people where we can find him. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Uh, all of my in-season writing, it'll be at three different places at 444 Football. You can find me there on what Tuesdays for quarterback streaming, uh, Fridays for I uh, do a weather report like each week. I do like the most accurate podcast for the uh, weekly recap on Monday evenings uh, to do the fo- uh, football guys, three lessons learned. That'll be out tomorrow morning. And then the Thursday night recap uh, or Thursday night preview for NBC Sports, and also do their Sunday recap show as well. So doing content almost every single day. So if you need me, come find me on Twitter and come yell at me for my bad takes. There we go. Now, of course, now, Chris, you you have came on, I want to say almost about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, you, about yeah. yeah, you were like, first you said, oh, you know, I'd be happy to come on again. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, eh, he, he probably doesn't want to come on. He doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I do have to thank you for coming back on once yeah, again. Man. Of course, hey, like I said before, you are welcome. And, you know, I meant it because, yeah, hey, congratulations, you're back. So, yeah. <laughs> other than that, hey, everybody, good luck. Peace.